Before we start the show, I want to thank the thousands of you, the thousands who have read This Book Will Make You Dangerous. Many of you have told me that the book's unique way of exploring fear, confidence, and purpose has had a lasting impact, that it's much easier for you to get clarity and direction about what really matters and what you want to do in this lifetime. It's also amazing to hear that quite a few of you have read it multiple times and even bought copies for friends, so thank you again. Just in case you weren't aware, I created a free companion video course for the book. And in these videos, I walk you through the big takeaways and practices from each chapter. And I even cover some extra stuff that's not included in the book. Information on how to access the course is in newer versions of the book. And if you own an older version of the book and you don't know how to access the course, just hit me up via the contact form at triplinear.com and we'll get you all set up. And one last thing, if you're one of the thousands who have already read the book, please consider leaving an honest review on Amazon so that others can decide if it's right for them. Again, thank you so much for reading. This book will make you dangerous. And now let's start the show. You are listening to the new man beyond the macho jerk and the new age wimp. Your host is men's coach, Trip Lemire. What would you say if your wife asked you to go to an orgy? Would you want your partner to lie to you just so you can continue to feel safe and comfortable? And how much of your life is spent worrying about what others may think of you? Rob Kandel just wrote a book called Unhidden, where he explores why so many guys are feeling drained and exhausted in their relationships and work. We're also gonna talk about why he believes it's a challenging time to be a man and why there are so many, quote, successful guys out there who just don't feel fulfilled. You're rocking out. Rob, what's up? Hey, buddy. Back in the studio with Rob Candell. Back in the studio. Up next, Blue Oyster Cult. <laughs> so it is. How are you, man? Good to see you. You too, brother. How you doing? I'm uh I'm well. Excellent. I'm well. Yeah, lots Excellent. going on. Doing that stuff. How's the book? The book uh is awesome. The book is out and released. It's on Kindle. It's on uh soft cover. I'm doing the audio. Well, what is, I I am curious about this title. Sure. Which is unhidden. What is Great. what is that? What is unhidden? What are you talking about? Unhidden is what my perception of the world needs. Because as the world gets more chaotic, as things get a little crazier, as man-woman dynamics shift, and there's been a lot of shifting in the last 30 or 40 years that I've seen through statistics and my own personal experience, uh, my belief is that men are heading into hiding more, especially with me too. We're in this place of of going deeper inside of ourselves. And I think what the world is calling for and the form of relationships is when you unhide, when you when you go from inside out and be authentic and vulnerable and true, instead of wearing these social media optimized profiles, these masks, these facades. So it's about, and that's the inner work. That's like 
building your own self-esteem and building your own self-love and depending on you know your own internal motor of who you are to come out in the world and facing you know the viewpoints but really living authentically and true all right a lot of jargon in that one let's decode that one um how would i know if i was hiding i you know because i I don't know what authentic and you know if i'm one of these guys i don't know what integrity and authentic means and blah 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 so what does it look like in my life how would i know that oh crap he's talking about me i'm hiding out what does that mean well we are talking about you we are talking about 99.9% of the guys yeah. and it could even be unconscious. So well, that's yeah, what I mean. Talk- it is unconscious. So how, how do we say, like, how, do, how do we help him see, Oh, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm what are you, af- what are you afraid to tell your wife? What are the parts of yourself that you keep hidden? What are your fantasies and thoughts? What are the white lies you tell? Where do you know when you're in a relationship with your best friend but there's a party you want to talk about, but you don't feel comfortable talking about it. Those are the things. And okay. they don't have to be epic. They can be the small little things. And I can they imagine can the guy that's out, he, he's thinking, I can't talk about that stuff because he's just going to get upset. He's going to get pissed right. off or my friend's going to think I'm a, a weird or right. a wuss. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be you know rejected. I'm going to be pushed away. So what's the upside for him? why would why would i want to be unhidden then if if i i stand the chance of upsetting people and being pushed away what's the plus what's yeah you know, if what? you're if you're happy with the level of intimacy in your life then don't <laughs> stay the same really like if it, if it works for you but most people have intimacy being what like i'm having sex more or what's the how do i know cuz intimacy still seems like a vague thing so Great. what would okay thank you yeah, it's it's when you're when you feel trapped inside of yourself, when you feel like you can't show different parts of yourself, when you feel you have secrets and what secrets take a lot of energy and a lot of uh, management. Like if you have a relationship with porn and your partner doesn't know about it, that takes a lot of time and energy to keep that in a little box. And. You're, if you're, when your partner finds out, and they will probably on some level, they already know, then what will happen is there'll be betrayal and anger. But there's a part of you, and that part of you wants something. So the, the cost is that we live in a place where we're spending so much time and energy building a facade of who we are, a mirage of who we are, rather than just taking the same energy and building a slow comfortable, safe way to start to reveal yourself to your partner. And when you do that, then that gives permission for your partner to reveal parts to themselves. And then you can actually know your person you're sleeping with rather than these creations of falsehoods. So if I zoom out, what I'm getting is the norm for being in a relationship is we both understand we're hiding shit from each other yes. and we're hiding stuff from each other because we want to keep the peace and we want to keep we this. Al- that. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. want to keep things rolling along. There's just certain things that we do. There's a cultural thing. Right. And what you're saying is this is exhausting though. This, this right. pattern is exhausting. And then when the patterns fail, when the illusion is crushed, then it hurts the relationship. It does bring the relationship down. And so you're, you're saying there's another possibility here, which is we can learn to drop that facade. We can learn to drop yep. these illusions 
and create our relationships in a way. Does that mean like, hey, honey, I'm going to go watch some porn now? Or does it mean I don't necessarily need to watch porn because I'm connecting with my partner more? Is What's the possibility you see? The possibility is that there's so much more uh, sex and, re- and deeper relationship available because when you withhold stuff, you know you're withholding stuff. You know you're a phony. Like whether you want to admit it to yourself or not, you know. And you're, you, then you assume the other person doing the other thing. And so if you just start – and not talking like major things. Porn might even be too much to begin with. It could mm. be just a thought or a desire or a, a fear. Like you can start anywhere and whatever – you know, there is, a, uh, there is a process, a framework I can share that helps these conversations so they can really get nailed. The point is, is that the possibility really is more sex, love, connection – truth and ease it's like oh, i don't have to hide this part of myself anymore so instead of playing defense okay i got to make sure i structure my life in a certain way so that i don't get attacked i don't get rejected yep. i don't get found out i've got to maintain this facade i got to make sure i'm always looking good so that nobody sees who i really am which is not very acceptable right i could learn how to drop all of that and i can start to enjoy myself a bit more and i can cr- actually have what i ultimately want which is a greater sense of connection and a greater more sex and more uh, of that ease and that flow there which i think i i'm thinking i've got to have all my defenses up i got to have this facade going in in order to maintain that and you're saying no if you drop that you'll actually have more of what you really want yes does that fit? That's that fits. Is, are there stories to support this? It sounds like a wonderful idea, and I can imagine my guy out there just like, "There's no freaking way, right?" So I got plenty of stories. Okay, is there one from your life where there was a place where you were hiding out? And I can talk. I can talk about my epic story about how how my whole life changed with one honest conversation with my wife at Burning Man. Okay, I like it's this one. St- it, it's a good story too. Let's go. It's funny. So when I was 28. I was living in San Francisco with my wife, Carol, and I was very straight-laced, very normal, very uh, corporate America. I was actually working in corporate America, and Carol said to me, she said, hey, do you want to go to Burning Man? And this was 1998, before Burning Man was the huge epic thing. It was really very San Francisco-centric at the time. And I had seen – the only thing I knew about Burning Man was I'd seen a picture book of Burning Man. And in that picture book, there were a bunch of naked people walking around encrusted in mud because they'd been in the mud baths and were walking around naked. And I was like, ew, like, that's not for me. That's for those (laughs) other people. Was it just that there were hippies or that there were dirty, muddy hippies? Dirty, muddy. I like like the nudity, (laughs) though I couldn't see myself being naked in public. (laughs) But the mud in those places that mud should not be, that was my my challenge. Yeah. Okay. So I was like, ugh. She said, do you want to go to Burning Man? I was like, no. And she said, come on, please. And I was like, okay, we'll go. Because I loved her. I wanted to make her happy. So... About a month later, we're, we're driving the well-stocked SUV to Burning Man and get to Burning Man and uh, unpack. And I'm actually feeling more comfortable than I expected. There was like a, huh, there's a new part of myself arising. Then the second or third day, uh, Carol came to me and said, hey, there's this place called Delilah's. And I heard there's orgies there. Do you want to go? And I was like, uh, um, uh, yeah, it actually probably came out. Yeah, you know, like yeah, like I want to go. <laughs> sure, Be- because we had very vanilla 
sex life to that point. We had very, you know, like missionary sex and not very good and not very long, that's for sure. And and so it was shocking. And I had a very strong um, fantasy life at that time, fueled by internet porn, the news groups. And so I was like, yeah, I'll go. And so all day I'm thinking so that was about part of the por- split is that you had this other life, the sexual yeah. life in your mind, but it wasn't integrated with your with your wife. Right. We had never we had never talked about it. Okay, got it. Never. I never told anyone in my life my relationship with porn. Okay. Twenty years old. So all day I'm thinking, Delilah's, Delilah's, orgies, Delilah's. You know, like ah you know, my little mind was like, Yeah. And so like ten o'clock at night, ten thirty, we ride our bikes across the playa and we get to this tent. And it's a tent on the edge. And you could hear the music and I'm expecting to open the flaps and there's a Romanesque orgy and you know, like all these naked bodies and we walk in and there's three hundred guys and three women sitting around. <laughs> And I was like, oh, Delilah's. So, you know, Carol became very popular very quickly. I didn't wasn't even noticed. All these guys turned their attention. There was one couple in the corner making it out with like 30 guys watching. And so we left and I was dejected. I was just like, oh, Delilah's. And so I walked around the playa. And then the most interesting thing happened. And we started to talk about our sex life. And it, it was shocking because I had never been honest with a person, let alone a woman, let alone my partner, about my desires, those hidden desires, those mm. parts of myself that were so deep inside. And we just started talking about sex and our relationship. And and at one point I said to her, I don't think you're the last woman in my life I want to kiss. And she turned to me and says, you're not the last guy in my life I want to kiss. I was like, what? And the bottom line is we just – for three hours, we walked around and revealed parts of ourselves we had never done before. And so we went back to San Francisco with this knowledge and just started to explore and just started to explore Swingers Clubs, which was awful, uh, but taking workshops and communication. Our sex life improved and all of a sudden we had like more juice. We'd known each other. Four years at that point, been married for two, I think. But we, you know, we actually started to have a sex life. And from that one conversation, from that one moment of honesty, mm. my our whole lives changed. And we took workshop after workshop after workshop. And then I eventually started One Taste. And then I built this community. And now I am here 20 years later from that moment, you know, yeah. 20 odd years, you know, writing my first book, you know, coaching men have had. Thousands of experiences, you know, this very normal, boring New York Jew should not have had in his life. Like, it's just, I've had more <laughs> things in my life that it was not part of the script. But that's that's what's generated the, the power of living unhidden is you never know when you're honest how your life can change. You know, the thing that I'm taking away from that is that we can see our choices in life whether mm-hmm. I'm, the choice I, I have to be in this relationship or to have this career, <clears throat> to have these friendships, to look a certain way, it can all be, if we just paint real broad strokes here, on one level, it's like, this is what I do to stay safe and to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to choose a partner that's not going to challenge me. I'm going to choose a partner that's not going to challenge my sense. Like they're only going to validate that I'm the only person on the planet they would ever want to be with or whatever. Like it, basically it's just whatever constructs I've got, I need everything to support this self-image that says that I'm comfortable and safe and accepted and that kind of stuff. But that's not where we experience joy. That's mm-hmm. not where we experience freedom, aliveness, and peace and love. And so it sounds like 
that's where we can start to say, well, I want something other than just to be comfortable. I want mm-hmm. something other than just to feel a sense of security. And I want something other than just to be accepted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, I mean, it sounds like if I'm willing to, that's why I would start to entertain these conversations because it might disrupt the things that I think I need in order to stay comfortable and, and safe. But that's not where the juicy part of life is. That's where our life goes by. It's like, well, I guess I, I did a good job of coloring in the lines, but I didn't really, I didn't really have much to experience. I, I, most of my life was hidden away in secret and mm-hmm. I didn't really get to have the experiences I wanted. Exactly. And you have to understand that we were dichotomous, complicated creatures. You know, if you want to go to the biological level, uh, some people talk about the brain into four parts. There's the limbic and the reptilian brain, which uh, my teachers call the creature brain. And then there's the cortex and the prefrontal cortex. Some people lump that together in the triune brain. But so there's different parts of your brain that want different things. Mm-hmm. The creature brain just wants to do what it knows. It knows what's familiar. To the point, if you survive child abuse, your creature brain believes that, that child abuse is a good thing because you survived it. So it'll seek it out? It'll look, it'll, because it's just what it's familiar. Exactly. It'll seek it out. It's like the weirdest thing ever is that we, what we feel comfortable doing um, we'll do. And so we'll actually go back into abusive habits right. because our creature brain says, oh, we survived child abuse. Everything is great. And so we'll find that's why people of child abuse often attract partners that are abusive, abusive. because our creature brain is like, this is normal. Right. The the other parts, the cortex, the thinking parts, the, the conscious parts, they're like, abuse? No way. I will never be in that situation again. So your biology at the biological level, is in conflict mm. about things. Right. So your, your, your creature brain might think, it's not safe for me to reveal myself to my partner because a thousand times in the past, I've, I've done a little bit and I've gotten in trouble. Right. Your, your cortexian brain be like, wow, this is the most progressive woman I've ever met. She's up for adventure. She's up for the party. She makes it feel safe. And I can actually tell her, I have a desire or I found that woman attractive, but no. And then you're in conflict. It's like, you yeah. know, the two people on the, on the shoulders conflicting. Okay. What do we do in that spot? Like what's a way to navigate that conflict within? It seems like it's a place where we could get stuck for years trying to do the pros and cons list and trying to be rational about it, but it's not rational. It's very emotional. It's even uh, pre-verbal that we're exactly. having these, these debates going on in our head. What's, what's, how do we navigate that? Well, one is to build practices because you can actually communicate to different parts of your brain through practice and repetition of what's safe. You can actually rewire your brain. Uh, I've done some research and I'm I'm really a novice at this, so I don't want to make this sound like I really know what I'm talking about. I know enough to be dangerous, but I've been researching with a group called NLP Marin talking about neuro-linguistic programming, reprogramming your brain. And you can actually do exercises. I did um, a course called Money money magic with michelle masters that was phenomenal and it it actually there's physical exercises like stepping walking up steps looking at cards where you can actually reprogram the unconscious parts of your brain for new pathways that's the the beauty of being human Mm -hmm. so you can actually reprogram your brain so it's attention understanding 
practice and repetition, through that, you can actually reprogram what's safe to your creature brain and not. Well, things like we before that, we've just even got to look at say, wait a second, I'm stuck in a pattern that just isn't healthy. This is right. limiting. Now I now I know why I would want to rewire that, why I would want to reprogram that. So if I'm sick of freaking out about money or I'm sick of freaking out about my relationships, I'm sick of freaking out about this stuff and it, there's no real, uh, we can't really deduce it down to like, hey, there's an actual threat here. I think most of us are, you know, we talk to people that are just, they have way more means, they're way more comfortable than they can ever be, but they still are in a place of fear and anxiety mm-hmm. and worry. That would be like, hey, maybe something needs to be re- rewired here. I don't necessarily need more money and more safety and more comfort. That's not really the problem. There's something going on in my awareness, uh, in my my ability to assess the threats of my life that says, hey, mm-hmm. I, I would want to change this. Right. Okay. You emailed me. You wanted to have this conversation. You threw out a bone. You said, uh, what was it that you said? It's a... About men. Challenging, yeah. challenging time for men. Challenging time to be a man. It's a challenging time to be a man. Okay. Yeah. And my my yeah. hairs on the back of my neck pricked up a little bit Ooh, when I read that one. Love that. And so I'm coming. Well, I'm coming from a place like my grandfather's in World War II in a submarine. He had Japanese dropping depth charges on him. My father took artillery shelling in Vietnam. The challenges we've got are luxuries to have. So I, it's not that I don't believe that there are challenges, but. Boy, what a wonderful set of challenges instead of being shelled and, you know, people trying to kill us just because we're 19 years old and we we're American. So, uh, I, I, so tell me about this. What, what is it? Why is it challenging? Is it just challenging to be a man now or more challenging, less than it was? Or what's, what's your viewpoint here? Help me understand it. Well, first, shout out to your family for their service. You know, the more I read about war and it's, it's just so insane to imagine 19 year olds. Like, I can't even imagine it. I feel so privileged in that experience. Yeah. There's a book, uh, Better Angels of Our Nature, uh, Steven Pinker, I read. It's a humongous book uh, and really cool. The basic concept is that we live in the least amount of violence in our entire history. As time goes on, per capita, there's less and less violence occurring, even though the media shows that we live in these really dangerous times. If you look at the historical impact of violence, it's significantly decreasing. So just right. to validate your point, you're absolutely correct that we live in the least violent times in history right yeah. now. Yeah. Okay. Okay, good. And, I think we got to start there because I think people can get okay. so self-absorbed about what is dangerous and what is challenging in their lives and they forget. They start to just get really fragile. And I run into this, like there's a bunch of fragile 45 year old guys running around. They've never been tested. They've never really, they don't, they don't know what danger is in their lives. Um, and I, I would put myself in that column, you know, like yeah. I haven't had to go confront death at that level, but we're capable. Right. right. I think, I think that informs us of, uh, and it helps us create a perspective of what challenge really is in our lives. I think it's important there. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, you look at how many, you know, we could go, I'm a history buff, so I, I'm yeah. so intrigued by those times. So I think it's a different conversation. So, yes, I want to actually validate, start off with validating your viewpoint and 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 being uh, a communication technique to validate your experience. And on top <laughs> of it, uh, without these trials and tribulations, without the um, boyhood to manhood experience, without the test, Men in the 21st century are facing a unique challenge of not knowing what it means to be men because mm-hmm. they haven't been tested. 
when they look at the scripts of their fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers, they're no longer working in the 21st century. So I'll back what up a little mean? bit. What does that mean? Okay. Yeah. I'll back up. Let me back up a little bit. So the patriarchy has been around, depending on the historian you read, for about 6,000 years. Anywhere from 3,500 to 4,000 BCE is when they say the patriarchy started. Before that, it was more egalitarian society. It was it was more based on agriculture. Everyone had their role. If you look at Native American cultures, um, there was very, uh, before industrialization came in, very egalitarian, very matriarchal. So there was a very, um, there was more inequality in terms of man. I don't woman. know about that because slavery was very common too. So there was, the, I, I just got to watch out for this. It was great in the past because slavery, it was okay to have slaves. You could enslave entire families for that. So I just, I, I just wanted to interject that too. I don't want to because it's I, Ken Wilber called it the regress express that there was some point in the past when everything was rosy and then we all fell from grace. So there there was a lot of really fucked up shit back then too. Are we okay with Again, that? Yes, and we're back to and. <laughs> uh, I just started reading Howard Zinn's uh, The People's History of the United States. Ever hear of this book? Uh-uh. Oh my god! I just freaking listened to two chapters of it and my stomach is turning because it is the first history book. That expresses the history from the people's point of view, not from the politicians, the right. royalty, the you know the rah rah Christopher Columbus. No, they're talking about the Indians that got massacred yeah, by it's Columbus. Rough. It's the rough. massacres. Okay, so but here's <laughs> my point around it. If you look at the European track, that's been around since since the patriarchy started. You know, really the slavery and and the division. Yeah. If you look at the more Native American cultures that were really embarked um, in the 1450s or 1492 is when when Columbus came, they actually lived in egalitarian type. The Europeans were shocked at the equality between men and women of the Native Americans and the, and the Cortes when he went to Guam. Like, wait, Cortes, sorry, I'm just reading this book for the first time. Anyway, the point is like, they were shocked by it. So yes, in the European track, in the Industrial Revolution, yes, slavery has been around forever. But as recently as 500 years ago, 550 years ago, there were egalitarian societies existing. Okay. I'll have to do my research on that, but I'm not going to debate yeah. you. But go ahead. Okay. I get your point. Okay. So patriarchy has been around for 6,000 years. Uh, this role of men as better has been in place for a long-ass time. Mm-hmm. Then what's happened over time is that it's been generation after generation, women have been deemed as less. Mm-hmm. In 1848, 170 years ago, uh, the women's suffrage movement was first called out. And what they said is that women should have the right to vote. It took 70 years to the 19th Amendment in 1920 for women to receive the right to vote. So women have not had the right to vote for, for less than 100 years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then in the 1950s and 60s, the world started to wake up even more. In the 1960s and 1970s, educators started to shift their perspective of how to create more equality between boys and girls. I use this deliberately of males and females below 18, boys and girls. And they started to implement programs to increase what's happening in the schooling system, especially around the areas of STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. Mm -hmm. 
So it's really been one or two generations. If you look at the statistics, in the 19, uh, 1970s, 62 to 64% of all college entries were men. Now, here we are, 40 years later, and it's flipped. It's almost identically flipped. We're 60 to 65% of uh, college and graduate school are women. If you look at the schooling system across the board, women are, uh, girls and young women are outpacing boys and young men significantly. If you look at the uh, gender pay gap, in the 1980s, it was 64 cents of a woman's dollar, so 64 cents of a woman to a man's dollar. Now, in 2012, it's 93 cents for a white millennial woman entering the workforce to a guy's dollar. My point is this, and there's many more statistics we can go over. My point is this, is that the patriarchy, the habits, the experience, the scripts that our fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers is shifting significantly in the last 40 years. And what has been so habituated, what a guy named Michael Kimmel calls aggrieved entitlement, what has been so uh, ex uh, expected by men and boys is now significantly changing. And without that, they're not knowing who to be, how to act. Then, just I'll throw in this last point, and I want to pass it back to you. You throw in me too. The cultural epidemic, the cultural explosion of 2017, mm -hmm. boys and men are frantically scared to be boys and men. And what we're doing, we're seeing is we're seeing a level of shrinking, pulling back, uh, engaging more with porn, free porn, especially since 2008, which is a whole other story. Um, games, um, there's, there's groups in Japan called herbivores of young versions under 30. There's a group called incels of um, self-imposed um, not having sex celibacy. So my point is, is I've seen a lot of dynamics that are happening to boys and men not knowing who to be. And to me, that's the roughest part about being a man in the 21st century. So, so the scripts are changing, the dynamics are changing, the power structure is changing. And what's uh, sounds like what's missing is like, well, we've got to redefine what it means to be a man in this day and age. What does it mean? How, does, how do we take the healthy aspects of masculinity, move yes. them forward? How do we, that we've been, uh, there's been a, definitely a, a push to be more feminine for men, you know, to be more sensitized and to be more compassionate. Those well, elements. Balanced. Balanced. Balance. Not even just feminized, just balanced. But keep going. You're on the right track. Yeah. And then... Uh, and so it's a, it is a confusing time. We look in the rearview mirror, this wasn't happening before. And yes. now it's not, it's not like you just, you know, rock the boat. It's like you could lose your career. You could do, you, there's a lot at stake now if you mess it up. And it doesn't seem like there's a lot of compassion if you mess it up. It's like you were an asshole. You were, you're a villain yep. if you, if you don't get it right. Uh, so right. a lot of guys, I guess, to use your term, hiding, they're going to withdraw. They're not going to get out on the playing field. They're not going to stick their necks out because there's too much at stake. Uh, there's too much they could get wrong. And so, uh, yeah, I, I get Is that what you're pointing to. That's exactly what I'm pointing to. Okay. And the ironical part <laughs> is the best time to be a man. Like, this is the time where you can have the most fun as a man. It, it, you can hang out with empowered women who 
who have their own credit card, 401ks, and money. <laughs> there's, there's so much more progressive conversations around sexuality. Uh, there's so much more tolerance now for uh, sexuality outside the norm. If you look at, you know, where um, homosexuality, you know, LGBTQ, where it was even 20 years ago compared to now, like there's so much more possibility. But because men are afraid, because men uh, don't know what script to follow, they're shrinking rather than stepping up to the possibility of having the most fun. And here's the double trap. Because men, especially white cisgendered men are looked as privileged, they're not permitted in society to complain. Inside that double trap, they're pushing down their fear, their angst, their desires. And I believe that's where the toxic behavior comes from. That's where the the privilege and the dominance and the violence comes from. It's us, instead of saying, I'm afraid to be a guy, we're pushing it down and it's coming out unconsciously and undeliberately, which is further creating a chasm. Like what, what is it? How's it coming out? Just so we can recognize it. What's it, what's it look like when we're, we're unconsciously expressing that frustration? Well, if you look at the most extreme cases, uh, gun violence, if you look at you know, the the serial killers and the, the kids going into shooting and school shootings and gun violence, um, not a lo- uh, significant proportion are, are, are speaking about, I got mad at women, I don't know how to talk to women, I feel alone, there's isolation, you know, in the most extreme, you know, they're, they're resorting to violence to, to let all the energy that's inside of you. Now, again, please, I'm not an expert in this. This is just some casual reading. I, I want to be able to state you know, things I'm yeah. good at, things I'm not so good at. So I just want to make that really clear. But there are, you know, again, back to this incredible author, Michael Kimmel, wrote a book called Angry White Guys. Angry White Guys. It's a, it's a horribly wonderful book. Uh, talks all about, about how violence is impacting and what I'm seeing in my own relationship with my coaches, who are not violent men, but there's violence towards themselves. There's depression. There's anger internalized. There's um, hurting oneself or staying because we don't know how to speak and and uh, express the fear and desire we have inside of us. It turns internalized into anger and depression. So it's really about an expression of power. How do, how do we how do we own our power? We used to yep. own it in certain ways. Those those ways are either going to be criticized or condemned uh, for good reasons. A lot of them yeah. for good reasons. Uh, but now it's a little bit like we're like, geez, what do I do? I don't know what I can do. I don't know what the boundaries are. I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't. Because you just said you described a paradox there. It's a great time to be a man. It's also right. a not so great time if you're not sure what to do because it's easily to be misunderstood and and condemned. Um, okay. I don't, you know, it's, it'd be easy to, to describe this in really broad terms and make it about gender and make it about people. I want to bring it back down to the guy's personal power because I I want so what can he do? What can the guy listening do about this? If he feels like he's stuck in that place where he's unsure how to exercise his personal power because he's afraid he's going to be called a, uh, you know, creepy or inappropriate. And on the other hand, he's like, well, shit, I don't want to feel like I've got to closet myself either. Um, mm-hmm. What can we do for that guy? It feels like he's damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. Um, it definitely takes time, energy, and attention to ensure that your communications land the way it's intended. Uh, 
part of my expertise is around communication. And I have it that the responsibility of the communication sits with the communicator. We often push you know, responsibility on the person receiving it. But if you want to learn to communicate, really own your expression of what you want to say. To do that, we have to go through the process we talked about. You have to confront these parts of yourself that you don't feel good about. You know, there's a lot, there's a very easy tendency to blame other. Blame your mom, blame your dad, blame your boss, blame society. And I'm not saying those outside influences aren't true and valid. And the most empowering thing when I work with guys is to build what I call self-esteem, self-love, self-validation, the belief in oneself. And my mantra is self-esteem is built upon esteemable acts. Self-esteem is built upon esteemable acts. And what that is, is individualized to each guy. So, for example, the acts that I do that have me feel good about myself, um, I, ha- I go to the gym and I work out with a trainer. I'm honest with my wife, Morgan. Um, I have integrity with my clients. So I don't, I'm not sneaky. I don't try to, you know, one over my clients. Um, when I say I'm going to be somewhere at a specific time, if I'm late, I communicate that. So I'm integrous with my word. The point is, is that building your own self-esteem motor, building your own self-belief in oneself, when you do that, you no longer are a prisoner to external validation because we are external validation junkies, especially men. All people are, but men are specifically. If we have the right job, if we have the right woman, if we have the bank account, if we have the power, we look externally to see if we're doing it right, in quotation marks, Mm -hmm. in the world. My belief is turn the locus of your attention back to yourself, build your own self-belief and own self-love, and then the validation that comes externally is the gravy. It's the ice cream to your alamode. It's the alamode to your fine apple pie, right? It's the extra. It's wonderful. If you can start to build the belief that I am right, I'm a good man, I'm a good human being, just who I am, then anything that comes on top of that is the the bonus. So if... I want to understand this. I call it inner authority, right? Which is I, I'm not going to depend on others to to gauge whether I'm up or down, good, good, yep. good or not. I've got to come back and have my own sense of authority in what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And so what I'm hearing you say is if I develop that sense, then I'm not on the hook about what others think about me yes. and I'm not driven up and down. And so if we zoom back to the question that I had, which was how, did, how do we deal with this day and age and what to do, it, you're saying just come back and be good. Do, do the right things according to yourself in your own life. Is that what you're saying? Your own metrics. My own, speci- yes, but more narrow is do the things that have you believe in yourself first and foremost. It's a lot easier to tell the truth to your partner when you have your own solid inner authority, to use your terminology, then depend on your partner to say you're doing it right. Most of us are in a dynamic where if my wife, let's just do it this way, if my wife is mad at me, then I'm doing something wrong 
or my wife is mad at me about something, then I must be a fuck up. We, we, we give away, we outsource our power externally. When you do that, it's very challenging and difficult and scary to tell the truth. So the first step for that guy who wants to you know, speak more of who they are, my advice is to do the work first internally to build that spine, to build that backbone so you have more um, fluid and more ability to speak the truth to other people. Yeah, because I can. I like what you how you how you phrase it there. Because otherwise, I'm just going to be gauging things on approval, um, and everybody's mm-hmm. got a different opinion. And so I'm just going to be led around. You know, like everybody's got a carrot, and I won't know what I stand for. I won't have a sense of direction. I won't have a compass, a moral compass for myself. Um, and I, the, the statement I always like, you know, when guys are asking, well, what do I do? What do I do? It's just like, well, how would you want to be treated? That's mm-hmm. usually a very quick way to come back to our own moral compass is like, would, if, would it be okay to treat yourself in this way? Would mm-hmm. you be okay if somebody else treated you in this way? And a lot of times they kind of snap out of whatever bullshit they're in mm-hmm. and, and, and they can come back. And it's like, oh yeah, well, I, I could be, in, I, I would be in integrity. This is how I would want to be treated. That's a, in a lot of ways, it's the best you can do. That's a starting point. Uh, mm-hmm. to get to, to find yourself there instead of what do I got to do so that people like me or what do I got to do so people don't get upset with me, then we've lost our way. Right. Okay. And, and, and there will be I conflict. There will be. Totally. There will be people totally. that disagree with us. One of the, the work that I, some of the work I did with Phil Stutz was around like being okay with being hated and misunderstood. Oh, I fucking mm-hmm. hate it. Right. But that's where so much of my power gets limited is I got to make sure I'm not hated and I got to make sure I'm not misunderstood. Right. Instead of actually working on the thing or saying the thing that you want to be. Right. Like, like I could write a very safe, easy book. Me having chapter number five, it's a challenging time to be a man. I've already got my first hater email from a friend of mine. <laughs> you know, she's like, I don't know. It, it was a message, but and this is the voice I hear. What are you doing? I don't understand you, Rob. I'm not sure what you're trying to prove. Good luck with your success. I actually got that already. And I was like, all right, that's successful because that means I'm willing Piercing. to I'm willing to make an impact. Now, I'm not saying go out write a book that, you know, gets you hate mail, but I am saying be so true to yourself that you risk um, touching other people's buttons. Be so true in yourself that you just risk someone truly knowing you and then having a modification to their belief system about you, you know, yeah. like, or who they think you are. But if you do it in a deliberate fashion, which I'm glad to share a framework I have for that, but if you're willing to do that in a deliberate fashion, then you don't have to spend so much time building this mask that we live behind to be liked. It's, it's, so much energy. You could take that energy and just put it towards living the life of your dreams rather than this life of what I perceive as mediocrity. Well, yeah, we're back to that thing of like, do I, have I created my life and these choices in order to feel safe and comfortable? Or am mm-hmm. I moving towards what uh, I'm really here to experience in this lifetime, that freedom, aliveness, peace, and love? And I will, I will be tested, right? Someone's going to yes. push back, you get that, and I can collapse and be like, oh my God, I'm sorry, I'm going to have all the right. copies of the book taken down. And I was wrong and bad and terrible and i'm a piece of shit or i can posture and be fuck you you suck your side sucks and you know you need to be killed and marginalized and everything or we can step into it say i believe what i believe but i want to hear what you believe let me hear what's going on let's talk about this let's have a conversation and you may still not understand what i have to say but i'm willing to own what i've got i'm willing to change it if it's if i get new information but i'm not going to collapse and i'm not going to try and 
uh, crush you or, or push you down at the same time. And, and to me, that, that's, that's a healthy power. That's a healthy form of power. I don't go away, but I also don't, don't need to uh, diminish you. Right. And to me, that's the jargon word intimacy. <laughs> you know, like that is intimacy when I'm so revealing of who I am and when I'm so open to hearing their expression of who they are, then life gets so much more interesting because it's like, wow, I didn't know that part of you. Like my experience with my wife, you want to kiss other guys? I had I had no, I seriously, I had not an clue that one, she had that thought and two, that it was possible to have this conversation. You know, I was so numb and dumb at the time. But my point is, is like when you create the space for these parts to come out, you may not like what your partner has to say. They might not like what you have to say, but then you actually know the person. You're actually known by the person. And when you live in this little box of your falsehoods, there's no opportunity for you to really be seen. Yeah. And I think that's where life is wasted in that little box. I'm not saying it's a bad life. I'm just saying you're not optimizing your potential of who you can be as a person. And that's very frustrating to me. But that's my own bias and projection. So, <laughs> Well, what I'm getting is like, hey, if I've gotten to this place in my life and I thought it was going to be different, this is what yep. I see. Really successful guys, quote successful guys, they create all this stuff, but they're just more insulated, right? Yeah. They're, not, they're not actually experiencing fulfillment. They're not actually experiencing joy. And they could go chase this magical thing called optimization and potential, as you said. But if it's not really rooted in who, who am I really, right? It's on the other side of this, this comfort zone. Um, yeah, it's just like, okay, what else is there? Oh, it's on the other side of this uncomfortable conversation. It's on the other side yeah. of looking at myself in the mirror and saying, you know what? This is what's really going on with me. I want to have that confrontation with myself. Okay. Yes. All right. Now I'm getting a sense of what unhidden means uh yes. this is the book True. unhidden yes okay rob candell where do we where do we go to you got anything happening on a website or anything we need to know about uh robertcandell.com is the hub of all things my work and then uh my podcast tough love is available writing i'm doing workshops communication workshops in 2019 i'm having online courses i'm having coaching circles so it's going to be a wondrous beautiful year in 2019 <laughs> if any of this work um speaks to you i also do free consultations if you just want to rap about it all that can be found at robertcandell.com thank you so much man thank you my brother if these interviews are helping you, then please visit The New Man on iTunes and leave us a positive review so others can discover the show more easily. Thanks for listening.